my peoples one time. Let's get started. I won't cheat you. Let me set apart who is my people. What up, what up, what up? You're back with Across the Intersection podcast. Thank you for rocking with us once again. This is AJ. I'm in here with Eve and Ragu's in the building. Hey, everyone. I had to get loud. Hey, everybody. Um, please don't forget to follow us on social media. You can always check us out on Facebook at Across the Intersection. Um, and follow us on Twitter at Across This. Um, at some point, we're going to get on Instagram because we're going to start creating these cool memes. And they're <laughs> going to be funny and you're going to laugh. Yeah. And when we do that, it'll also be Across This. Unless somebody's stolen that already. Then it'll be something different. Um, you can always check us out as well on in, um, individually on social media. Um, I'm at Divinimous, D-I-V-E-N-O-M-O-U-S on all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything. And I'm on Twitter at E to the V to the E. And you can follow me at uh, Goo the Tech on Instagram. Because he's a technology guy, tech techie. Tech, techie. Oh, man. Um, as always, we even got the producer back here. Yeah, she the, is we, in the We got building. the rabble rouser for those of you who didn't know who been uh, causing all this uh, uh, ruckus on, on Facebook. social media, yep. At the rabble rouser on Facebook. <laughs> We're going to have to make that one. Yes. Right. That'll be her Twitter handle. Uh, Twitter, Twitter handle. Twiddle hander. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> Although that was kind of funny. I am the twiddle hander um, at the rabble rouser. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. It's not a key massage. I'm sure someone has taken it. Guaranteeing you. But anyhow, uh, it's been a lot going on. So we're gonna run our mouths for a little bit, and you're gonna listen. You're gonna laugh, and you're gonna have fun, and you're gonna tell your friends about our podcast because it's awesome. And you might even get mad, but but that's part You'll of the point as too. well. Yeah, because like I told you, I I do make it a, a part of my job description to piss people off. So anyway, um, this week, uh. Again, as you know, we record in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. And this week, our friends down at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Northwest. Northwest Washington. Um, they've been having some fun. So, um, as you guys know, uh, Charlottesville happened last Saturday. We're not really going to go into Charlottesville too much. Um, I just want to follow a, a quick timeline, right? So, Charlottesville happens. Well, really, UVA happens Friday. Then Charlottesville happens on Saturday. And then uh, 45 has these three train wreck press conferences, right? The the many sides and the alt-left that got created. <laughs> the alt-left was created on Sunday. So just, just a bunch of train wrecks. But then it comes out this week, I think Thursday? It comes out this week, Thursday, uh, that he got rid of Steve Bannon. Now, one of the things... I, I think that people forget about 45. I don't, you know, for as much as he is a novice politically. And and he is a novice. <laughs> capital N, capital obvious, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that he still is a master at optics. Yeah, he's very and savvy. He's very savvy at, at making things look a certain way. And this looks like a very smart move on his part to say hey though my response to charlottesville those train wreck you know press conferences etc all of that was on bannon right all of that was bannon he was telling me to do that he's my chief strategist blah 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 and so if i get rid of bannon that pegs bannon as the scapegoat that takes the heat off of me as the president, and I can say, hey, it was my chief strategist sort of pushing me in that direction. What say you? Well, you know, the the issue here also is I don't know if that strategy, if it's if that's what it is, will backfire. Because remember, Bannon is the one who arguably got Trump into the White House. Yep. You know, we mm -hmm. have Bannon as the campaign manager, which people thought was a strange move in the first place because Bannon doesn't have a political background, but somehow he was able to maneuver him. Yes, maneuver <laughs> maneuver Trump into the White House. Um, you know, using a variety of of means and <laughs> a variety. Yeah, and so and then he gets into the White House, and Bannon becomes the you know 
the chief strategist. So I don't know that this. Or he becomes the Grim Reaper, according to Saturday Night Live. <laughs> now that, yeah. So if any listener has not been hip to it, go ahead and check it out. Well, YouTube is for everybody. So anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know that this will work the way that Trump wants him to. He's almost kind of backed into a corner, which of course he painted himself into, mm-hmm. where uh, the person who has helped you get there is the same person who you're now um, making to look terrible for the decisions that you yourself have made right and so this this then opens up another door which we'll probably get down to later in the discussion which is will allowing bannon to be or exit the white house staff affect him negative in a negative light when bannon returns to the uh the media outlet that he was part of yeah yeah, breitbart and then like start tearing the the white house to shreds He's already said that. He he said, I have a lot of weapons, quote unquote. I don't know what that means, but I guess when he starts to shoot off on Breitbart, you'll find out what that means. Yeah, I just hope that he's a lot more clever than just to, you know, make himself seem like the woman. I'm sorry, the man scorned. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he'll do something else. He'll be more strategic in the way that he. Uh, critiques the uh, Trump administration or the White House because otherwise it just looks like someone who got ousted is angry and mm-hmm. um, and wants to come against you know the, his former employer and in addition to that right now the Republican Party is in crumble mode so does he want to contribute to that by continuing to stoke those fires that's a big question see but I think that's exactly what 45 thought that's what I'm saying why I think in terms of the optics it looks good for him he he pins it on Bannon, right? Bannon goes back to Breitbart, starts shooting off at the mouth. Then he can say, see, look at this guy. He's crazy. Like, this is how, yeah. this is how I'm working with. Exactly. This is what I was dealing with in the mm-hmm. White House. This guy is nuts. And, and then you have the image that he always works to, to portray. I, you know, so there's another nuance to, to this whole thing that is amazing. <clears throat> so this week, our 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 boy uh, Barack came out of hiding. This dude, Barack Obama, he's he's just a slick cat, right? Oh, always, always. So for as much as forty five tweets, right? This dude's tweeting all the time. Charlottesville happens. Obama comes out and makes one tweet, and it is the most retweeted tweet in the history of Twitter. He just comes out like, yeah, you know, boom, Charlottesville. And it's like retweeted like a gajillion times. It's, it was articles on that tweet. Yeah. Like Obama comes out, makes one tweet, and it is the most retweeted and most liked tweet in the history of Twitter. That has to burn up 45. For somebody like 45 who's tweeting all the time. Well, <laughs> again, before we were talking about political savvy and the lack thereof by one Donald John Trump. And the difference, it, the difference is staggering. It's like night and day between uh, the smoothness of Barack Obama, who knows what it means not to wear out one's welcome. Imagine if Barack had been going back and forth. I'm sorry. If Mr. Obama had been going back and forth with you won't Trump. Call him your- Boy Barack, no. former president. <laughs> yeah, uh, back and forth ever since uh, Obama left office. Then after a while, people get tired of Obama's mm. voice. It'll be like, wait a second, this is beneath you. You know, it, really? Um, but Obama knows not to wear out his welcome. He knows every once in a while to put something out strategically, you know, while he's continuing to build his library or whatever else he's doing, going on vacation, enjoying his life. Hanging out with Richard Branson. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as... Uh, he wants to just make a point about a particular issue after months of silence in that medium or, you know, months of silence on a big issue in that right. medium. And then, yes, he gets the re- the response that he gets. So it just goes to highlight the stark difference between <laughs> Trump and Obama. That just has. I, I know somewhere by himself he's sitting down like this. God. He tweets all the. T- There's no way you can tell me he tweets all the time. Obama comes out out of the blue with, with the most with with one tweet ever. It's the most liked tweet ever. I know when he's sitting down by himself, he's just like, "Dude, can't stay gone. Stay gone. Twitter's mine. Twitter is mine, Batman." <laughs> I really like that laugh. Bob. That worked out really well. That's a that's a Mark Hamill reference. If you guys have not read um watched the videos, Mark Hamill is the voice of the Joker in the mm-hmm. Batman cartoons, mm-hmm. and so he has this ongoing thing where he is quoting um, 45's tweets in the Joker's voice, 
Crap is hilarious. It's hilarious. You, I'm just, I just gave y'all a free lunchtime laugh session. Go ahead and, and Google that. You will find that hilarious. So anyway. I just wanted to, to, to also just talk about what's going on with the Republican Party. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the direction you want it to go in. Uh, I think that that's a fear that some people are having because you see the alt-right or the extreme conservatives or the extreme right, whatever we want to call it. I prefer to call it alt-wrong. But basically when you see that and then you see people who are more centrists and then you see those who are in between. Uh, there have been people over the past week and, and just over the past entirety of Trump's administration, but especially lately mm-hmm. in his own party who've come out against Trump. Uh, and so and you see interviews of this all the time. Uh, so there's a, a rift going on with people in the extreme right versus those who are more centrist versus those who are more traditional Republicans. And so it just makes it, it just kind of made me uh, remind myself that political parties in this country have actually folded. I'm not saying that this is the end of the Republican Party, um, but you know, when you live in a time like now where it's, where the parties have been Democrat and Republican for so long, for our entire lifetimes, and then uh, it's kind of easy to forget that political parties have changed off and on for the entirety of this country's history. But you have parties that have actually become defunct. The Whig Party back a century and a half ago actually split over slavery. And so, you know, I'm sure that people during that time thought of the Whig party as, wow, you know, this is a major political party. Next thing you know, it's gone and it faction, there are factions to it. Same thing happened with the National Republican Party, you know, back during, I think, John Quincy Adams or somebody's administration uh, back or uh, hoped administration uh, back during the 1800s where it split. And so you have parties that have Mm -hmm. split and have gone away. So I'm not casting that thought as if um, it will happen, but there are some major problems going on with the foundation of that party that I don't know if they're in a position to uh, to do anything about because people are so opposed to each other. Hmm. This extreme, uh, this extreme wing of the Republican Party, and granted, people forget this version of the Republican Party is only about forty or fifty years old. Um, this ultra uber conservative. Um, version of the Republican Party, give or take, but it's latter 20th century into the 21st century. So that's that's definitely a possibility. But people would say the same thing about the Democratic Party. Mm. I mean, the 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 fact that they've been trounced the last two midterm elections, um, they were trounced in the general election. Does the Democratic Party have to go uber liberal, you know, in order to really garner like do they have to fight fire with fire pretty much and go uber liberal in order to counteract the ultra conservative alt right wing of the Republican Party that has really taken them hostage? You know what I'm saying? It really did. Oh, go ahead. Gotten, you know, gotten Trump, you know, in into office. So it's. I think the the current iteration of both parties, I think you're going to see some significant changes. I I, I do agree with that. I, I think the more moderate, more centrist Republicans would probably lean more libertarian at this point as opposed to alt-right, you know, because there's such a stark difference. But you could sort of see a little bit of that, I think, in the Democratic, not to the same degree. But I think a little bit of that in the, in the Democratic Party as as well. It might be that the <clears throat> it might be that the party that survives will be the one that has the most amount of people who are willing to say it's about the party, not about my personal mm-hmm. opinion. It's about preservation of this particular unit. Um, I'll put down my my own views and my hatred towards someone at the extreme uh, end of this particular party. And I don't know whether it, it's the uh, modern Democrats or modern Republicans who are more willing to do that because everything is so volatile right now. And then, but what you said a few seconds ago, AJ reminds me that uh, a lot of people who are third party supporters or uh, supporters of the notion of a, a viable third party would wonder if the splinters that are happening on both ends uh, don't open up the door for that. Mm-hmm. What do you all think about uh, the possibility, considering all of the division going on on both sides, that a third party actually might be able to come up and be successful? That, that's definitely realistic. Uh, a combination of that, that liberal, liberal and conservative concept, uh, you know, it could be called like the millennial party or something different. <laughs> You know? Yeah, you, you need you need to um to trademark that because <laughs> you know that makes a lot of sense. If somebody hasn't, so anyway, I'm I know personally I'm going to be on the lookout for Mr. Bannon's um, 
fiery darts, <laughs> fiery darts um, at the Republican Party, at the administration, at 45 himself. You know, I, like I said, I, I think this is from an optics and a perception perspective. I think this is a really smart move by 45. You know, it, it, it pins Bannon as a scapegoat. It takes the heat off of him um, and it puts a lot of it, it makes a lot of noise. Right. And it and it takes the focus and attention off of those three train wreck. Like I said, uh, press conferences and the ridiculous comments that he made, the many sides comment and the alt left and all that kind of stuff. It takes the focus off of that, right? And it puts the focus on Bannon and the shenanigans that probably are getting ready to pop off on Breitbart. So it looks like Bannon might have to take the high road, which is strange. Yeah, I doubt and that. <laughs> I think that the high road, but again, if it's about preservation of his party and how loyal Bannon actually is to the party or how loyal he is to his pocket and how much more um, press Breitbart can generate for itself by being that you know perpetual critique of uh, Trump that it could yeah. become. Is Bannon really more interested in his platform or preserving the party by not continuing to stoke those flames? I don't think he was ever really dedicated to the party. I don't mm -hmm. know. Breitbart and the alt-right, they're like their own thing. And so when Trump, can, you know, when he comes out and he looks like he's giving them support or he's giving them, a, you know, a platform, they'll use it for as much as they need. But I don't think he's like, oh, the Republicans, you know, for America. I, I, uh. Even though I it's a Breitbart conservative outlet. It's yeah. definitely about Breitbart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I think. But. As was Mr. Breitbart. Yeah, so so he, they're thinking more in the perspective mm -hmm. of, of this is capitalism and we're conservatives, but we're, we don't, you know, whether it manifests itself as, as a Republican uh, party or whatever, we're still, we have our principles as conservatives. Yeah, or maybe it's not even principled, it's just the cash. Straight cash. I and mean. you're going to see fiery darts coming from Breitbart <laughs> to the president's doorstep. Mm -hmm. But as, as as we pivot, right, so from from Breitbart, given the, the alt-right and, and everything else press, something that's not getting as much press, it's getting a little bit of press, is in the BBC and some other publications. Um, there have been some serious, serious life-ending mudslides taking place in the country of Sierra Leone. Um, if you don't know, there have been some significant mudslides in the area of Freetown in Sierra Leone, killing thousands of people. Yes, you heard that. They've counted up to thousands now? I on, know in the beginning. On count, it's uh, 467. 467, but it's like over three or 400. Missing. In, missing yeah. So I'm just oh. adding all those numbers together. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you've been buried under mud for almost a week, yeah, it's you probably are not alive. It's you a recovery know. effort as opposed to a rescue mm -hmm. exactly. at this point. Yeah, they're no, just counting goodness. at this point how many. Yeah, people they just they gonna find. keep finding. Yeah, almost like remember Katrina, they just kept finding bodies. You know, after the fact when the mm -hmm. waters receded, oh, it's, you know, some more bodies. So I expect that they're gonna find hundreds more, um, because when you're dealing with poverty like that and shanty towns and things like that, they don't really know how many people are there. You know what I'm saying? They don't really even know, but. So there, there, there is a, a little small, um, undeveloped, I'm not going to say small, relatively speaking, undeveloped area of um, outside of Freetown, and there was a massive mudslide. Now, they're considering the people there homeless. Yeah. Even though they live in kind of a makeshift. They were squatters, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, the Sierra Leone government are calling them homeless, and so they're saying that they're over... 2,000 people that live there, quote-unquote, homeless. So I just wanted to give for our listeners, particularly those in America, when you think about poverty and you, you think about economic uh, situations, you cannot think about it like an American because poverty in the U.S. is not like poverty in a third-world nation, which is crazy to think because Sierra Leone's number one export is diamonds, but... The, the the poverty in, in some of these nations is astounding when you go and visit. I, I would encourage you, if you have not left the country, to leave the country. It'll give you a different perspective on poverty. So when you talk about poverty in the U.S. and someone is getting a welfare check and they might live in an apartment you know, in, in the projects or this, that, and the third, hey, you're getting a welfare check. B, you have uh, indoor plumbing, right? You have heating and air conditioning, right? You have windows, Okay. It you, might smell like urine, but you have an elevator that takes you up to the thirty third exactly. floor. There's an elevator there. 
there is a literal <laughs> elevator in your building. And I'm not saying that to disparage. I've seen, I've you know, visited public housing before, and yes, it's it's dirty, but there is an elevator. Right, so definitely if, keeping things in its proper context. Yes. Yeah, is key. So I just wanted to let you know if you wanted to see the article, the the BBC article, there is a link to it on our Facebook page. Um, go to it, and it you know then you can begin to sort of go from there. But what I wanted to just briefly talk about here, and you know we'll see where the conversation takes us, is do we feel like the coverage for these mudslides, for as deadly as they have been, is it enough? Do you think it's enough? Because there have been, you know, tragedies globally that have not affected nearly as many people as this that have gotten way more coverage than this. And so you were saying something earlier, even when we were talking about that, this is less about the fact that it's an African country and more because it's poor people. Yeah, I think, well, I was, the the thing that struck me was just the system and, and how poverty impacts everything. So you have a country, a country's capital, and you have areas that are thriving, and you have, you know, people are relatively thriving, and you have people who are going to work and going home and having jobs, but then you have this, this underclass there, similar to the fact that you have an underclass here. It's not a similar underclass in terms of amount of wealth, of course, but the whole, the, the structure uh, is similar in the fact that you have people who are thriving within that context and people who are left behind. And so when you look at uh, the pictures, you realize, okay, there's a mountain there, there's a loose soil, and then there's a flat area. And anybody who would decide to put their home underneath that mountain with loose soil knows that sooner or later, if it rains enough, there's going to be a mudslide. However, the people are in survival mode in the sense that they're Look, there's no mudslide now. It's dry, so let me find a, you know, a place to live right over here because, in terms of my ability to make it in this society, I have no options. So there's a whole community built right in this spot that is, is is perfect for something like this kind of natural disaster. So I think that poverty is the real problem. You have, as you mentioned earlier, AJ. You have a country whose primary uh, export is diamonds, okay? And then, of course, you have a continent like Africa that has the richest mineral wealth um, or, or the greatest amount of mineral wealth and uh, wealth in, in precious metals and all kinds of things, just the greatest amount of wealth on Earth. And, of course, it was raped and pillaged, of course, we know, by Europe. Uh, and, and now it might even be happening by China uh, throughout the continent. Uh, China. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it, it might be happening, you know, by all kinds of organiz- uh, all kinds of countries uh, just getting what they can from Africa. Uh, but when you do that, you find that you have people who are in charge of these countries who people on the outside like us would say, why don't you take care of your people? Your major export is diamonds. But I think that when you have the rest of the world taking, 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 and when there's a legacy of uh, colonialism, People are on survival mode. People just want to do for themselves and their families, and and they're leaving everyone else behind. And I think structurally there's a problem uh, with Sierra Leone and a lot of different places. It's not lost on America either. We have people who are not participating in the economy either here. And so humans have really backed themselves into a corner by creating societies where there's so much disparity. So you're definitely saying it's a systemic thing. I think there's I think that human beings decided at some point in history <laughs> that we are going to have societies where your wealth is based on how much currency you can collect for yourself. And depending on how much currency you can collect, can collect for yourself, you, that's that's what will determine where you can live, whether you can eat, whether you have clothes to feed yourself. I mean, you look out in the wilderness, you don't see gorillas and apes, you know, homeless. That just doesn't, you know, even animals, you know, don't have that. Like, Go ahead, get you some of this hole. Get, you know, the beasts of the if field. I dig a hole, everybody lives here. Right? I mean, you know. Seat four. You know, you know, you don't see birds. This cave has seating for eight, right. <laughs> You know, you don't see bats and birds and, you know, home, you know, and there's an, an ousted colony of bats that nobody that have no place to go. Like, you just don't see that in in the animal kingdom. I see your face, AJ. You're, you're about to pop off. No, 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 that's but funny. it's just, you know, but human beings, for whatever reason, have decided, OK, let's find a means of exchange, which mm-hmm. makes sense in a way. OK, but the problem is when you make uh, access to that means of exchange, an opportunity to a- attain that means of exchange unequal. 
based on the, the condition of someone's birth or based on whether they have um, uh, currency from previous generations or mm-hmm. based on race or based on uh, gender. When you have that disparity going on, then you're going to have disparity in wealth. And, and then you're going to have situations like these where just because of poverty, someone dies. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's, it's rather, it's rather unfortunate. And, and, you know, what's more unfortunate to me, I find is when believers use scripture in ways to dis, you know, dismiss things like this. Cause when you would bring up a point like that, a believer would say, well, even Jesus said the poor will always be with yeah. you. So what Which does it matter? Or, or if you don't, if you don't work, you don't eat, you know, first of all, if you don't work, you don't eat, uh, was, I, I don't think that that was a prescriptive text. Paul was saying, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat, you know, or even if it was, even if it was prescriptive, uh, the question is, do you have an opportunity to work <laughs> so right. that you can eat? That's more the laziness as opposed you know? to not having the means. And yeah. what human being really is so lazy that they w- that there are opportunities in front of them, but they would prefer not to eat rather than take those opportunities. That's someone with 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 a mental disorder. We're not talking about a normal person. Mm-hmm. So the reality is opportunity and equity um, and access are the real issues. I'm sure in Sierra Leone and definitely here and in other um, capitalist countries. Yeah, so, so you're saying that the, the major export that you can definitely see is, is diamonds from that. So then what kind of opportunities are then going to be available? Is it going to be somebody who's working in the mines or is it going to be a machine that's digging up and excavating these mines and collecting the, the diamonds? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, and and you know some people would see it that way to to say well either the people have jobs or they don't mm-hmm. they're working dirty jobs in a mine or they're not you know but we could go further than that and mm-hmm. say well do these people without whom these diamonds would not be excavated um, do they even have a stake in this in this uh, in, in the profit or do they have mm-hmm. a stake in in the enterprise that they're involved in so you know I think that having giving people opportunities even to benefit off of their labor would bring the whole country up. But then even more than that, there's a lot of science and a lot of engineering involved in, you know, taking mm-hmm. diamonds from in, with, within your, within your uh, rock and within your uh, country. So are people being taught and, and being educated right. toward the engineering yeah. and science and everything that and they... And now you're talking about yeah. the whole structure of, yeah. of, of Africa, you know. But yeah, the whole, I mean, the whole structure needs to be um, re-examined. But I think what's going on now is that the only thing that a poor country knows is, okay, there are countries... Uh, that are or there are companies that are interested in our resource and it's not just diamonds mm-hmm. but but uh, Sierra Leone has a lot of mineral minerals mm-hmm. as do other uh, countries in Africa that are critical for our tech sector and a variety of other industries and so but I think that when you have a poor country what a lot of people do is they just say oh my goodness we have people who are interested in buying from us let's just take as much as we can from this profit while we can instead of saying wait a second they Look at all this. You're almost wealth. like I'm. I'm pleading to make a deal here for whatever values that we have as a, as this country to another country to bring in some type of uh, resources. Yeah, and I don't know monetary. the yeah exactly, and I don't know the president of uh, Sierra Leone. I, I like the president of Liberia. I think her name is Sierra Leaf. Um, she seems to be someone who has a good heart, but I don't know the president of Sierra Leone. So when I saw him walking around, I'm sure he was sad, but I want to know. Um, if there's anything that he could have done to prevent that poverty in the first place. I mean, when you, again, I've, I've said it before on our podcast that I don't put stock in, in unrighteous systems or unrighteous people. And so when you have people who are in power and people who benefit from the destitution of others, it's not in their benefit to truly invest themselves I to help. I think it is in their, I think it, uh, it Why? This, Why would you if, think that? If I am, if I am rich anyway, Right. So I have a country that has a few million people mm-hmm. with all of this wealth where everybody should be middle class or should higher be. Should be. based on the amount of uh, amount of wealth that the, the primary so- or the, the natural resources in that country generates. So, look, I'm rich anyway. I'm the head of the country. Or I'm a, a minister of a particular uh, agency in the government mm-hmm. and I'm rich anyway. So it's a matter of being rich or more rich. Either that, way, that's the point. E- that's it, right? but either way, <laughs> my money's going to outlive me. Yeah, but Either the, way, and but it's not just going to outlive me, it's going to outlive me very nicely. The Bible says that the eye is never full of seeing. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You could have $10 million, I have the same eye. but why not $11 million? 
Yeah, but the deal is, okay, so let me just talk about the juxtaposition I was just trying to mention. So number one, I could be rich with a poverty-stricken country. And so I go and visit America or France or England, and they do all of, they, they have all of these bands coming out playing as I'm walking down the corridor. And, but I'm looking dumb and everybody is snickering behind my back because I have all of these, uh, all of this money in Swiss bank accounts, but half of my population can't even read. So that's one type of rich. Mm -hmm. Another type of rich is a person who's rich anyway, but then he's actually used the resources of his country in order to um, in order to empower his people, who will then be grateful, and it's less likely that a coup will come around and bite him in the butt. So there, you can be rich supporting and uh, or supporting your people um, and looking great because you are the president of a a formidable country, and you actually get respect for that. Or you could be rich standing on top of a poverty-stricken, mud-slidden country. But people could say that same thing about the United States. They could mm -hmm. say Donald Trump walks out, beats his chest at the, at the um, what's it, the G12 summit, right? But yet, so you have Charlottesville, you got Mike Brown, you got Philando Castro, like, which is global news, you know, so mm -hmm. I think it is in their interest to keep as much of the population down as possible. I just think in certain countries, it's a little bit easier to do that, that's all. But I don't put it past 45 to keep as many people down here, right, as he possibly could to, because he was doing that even before he was president. I mean, there was stuff he was doing in his properties before he was president to keep people down. Why? To keep more money in his pocket. That's what. So that's just what I mean. I'm not saying what you're saying is wrong, but in, in order to act like that, your heart has to change first. You mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? You act. You have to actually care what enough about, about people. But what about self-interest? Um, when you have people who are an underclass and who are oppressed for a certain period of time, this is throughout human history, they're oppressed for a certain period of time, sooner or later a revolution will come and your head will roll or you'll have to leave, one or the other. What about self-interest? Well, that's why the Bible says that he sees nations rise and nations fall because leaders get that prideful and that blind to the fact that if you oppress people long enough, they will kill themselves trying to get from under that oppression. I mean, to be quite honest, that's what you see here. I've watched enough interviews just this week with people using terms like an impending civil war. People have actually said that. Yeah. In interviews this week in the United States. Why? Because they realize if you oppress people long enough, they will revolt. Absolutely. I think, you know, even the United States realizes that. And so, but again, leaders can be prideful enough and blind enough to not want to see that. And so that's why I say everything that you're saying is true, but it starts first with a changed heart. And if if I'm unrighteous to begin with, I'm not even going to think like that. Yeah, the leadership has to be righteous in order for everything else to matriculate or change, if you will. Well, not and, that, and that's a good point that you make, Ragu, because people, a lot of people don't seem to realize just how influential 45 or whoever your national leader is. Like, influential not just as a figurehead, but people, that spirit mm -hmm. that they operate under. Absolutely. The division, the elitism, which is strange because it doesn't... The people deception. Who, yeah, the deception. You know, the mm -hmm. people who relate to that elite, even if those folks who relate to it aren't elite. Just, just the mindset, just what you were saying about Trump and his response to Charlottesville, saying, you know, in the beginning, he, you know, his sort of knee-jerk reaction was, oh, there, there are problems on both sides of the issue. There, I understand both sides. It's like, really? Uh, so, so yeah, just like you were saying, there, there is, um, a need for people to understand and for leaders to understand that what they do and the way that they operate is trickling down and their kids being born under that. Yeah. So we have to, you know, listen, we, we, I say we, all of us, you know, particularly those in the body of Christ, we have to remember, you know, two things. We have to remember that that's why I think the scripture tells us to pray for our leaders because you have to pray that God would touch their hearts because Absolutely. you're dealing with unrighteous people who are very powerful, very wealthy, and who are very prideful. And so they they do not see it in their best interest to help people or, I mean, to really help people. Um, <clears throat> they can give the appearance that they're helping people. Um, but if... What I do helps you, but takes away from me. There's only so much as an unrighteous person that I'm going to do. Um, and so that's, that's what we have to come to the realization of. So then what we have to do is say, okay, well, 
Lord, what are you calling me to do? What can mm-hmm. I do at my level? Yeah, what I is rely. my role in this? Yeah, what is my role? Where can I help? And it, it may be helping one individual in Sierra Leone. If you're, you know, in Sierra Leone, if you're in the United States, maybe it's helping one individual who was impacted by Charlottesville. Maybe it's not helping the whole city. I don't have influence in the whole city, right? But I can impact one person or one family. Things like that, you know, in addition to praying for our leaders, because we have to pray that their hearts are soft enough to be able to be influenced by God. Right. They were in they were put in place by God, whether it's the president of Sierra Leone, whether it's the president of the United States, whether it's president, uh, prime minister, whatever. They are in place and given authority by God himself. So which is why I think it's in our best interest as believers to a pray for them and then be like I said, see where we can have an impact. Um, and I think, like I said, stop being naive to expect righteous behavior from unrighteous people. Because m- many of what we expect, you know, we, we have a righteous perspective. Like, so we're going to say, well, why aren't you helping people? Why aren't you doing this? And in their minds, they're going to say, why would I do that? Why mm-hmm. would I help people? Mm-hmm. You know, and the fruit is bare. You know, you see the the fruit of what's in their heart. You know, mm-hmm. you, you don't do what's not in your heart to do. So if, if oppressing people, taking advantage of situations, fear mongering, whatever is going on. What that's what's in their heart to do, and so that's what you're seeing. Okay, so it's about being an example. Um, it looks like certain people have decided to be a certain type of example, <laughs> and and those of us who are ideologically driven should be an example that matches our own ideology as well. So at least mm-hmm. there's there's some kind of interplay going on instead mm-hmm. of just wickedness all the time. Yeah, I mean, wickedness grieves my heart just like I feel like it it grieves you know the the Lord's heart. You know, when when, when you see people being wicked. And, you know, but the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. So that's why we see wickedness. We see the hearts of men coming forth. What's in their heart is what is coming forth. And it is desperate wickedness. Um, And it's unfortunate. But when you have people then who are in power and who are leaders, but who are still desperately wicked, then you see reactions. You have desperately wicked, wicked leaders. You in have place. desperately wicked and whatever, leaders. whatever personal convictions that they have, it becomes portrayed to the people that they're leading. Yep. Yeah. What yeah. does Sam always say? That they're those who are in authority, people who are subject to their rule. Yeah. So there you have. You have desperately wicked leaders, and those people who are under them are subject to their rule. So. Wow. Yeah, that's that. Just we just figure we'd sober up the whole right, just, <laughs> basically <laughs> from laughter to, to soberness. <laughs> yeah. But something that will make me feel better, right? <laughs> is we're going to break here and take a word from our sponsor. Addressing your health is not something you can ignore. A report from your doctor or even aches that you've learned to live with need to be taken care of. It can feel like a long road when you go at it alone and aren't sure what to do. Working with a knowledgeable individual will help you save time, resources, and actually get the results you're looking for. Let us introduce you to Princess Akima, a certified holistic nutrition practitioner. She's a living example that making powerful changes in your life will have ripple effects. She works one-on-one with clients to prevent and reverse disease from skin issues, diabetes, high blood pressure, and allergies. This can be treated by using nutritional guidance, herbal and homeopathic means, body work, and movement. This whole person holistic approach is helping people get restored. Get in touch with Akima today at www.princessakima.com. That's P-R-I-N-C-E-S-S-A-K-E-E-M-A. Or you can reach her at 240-855-0266. And you can connect with her on Facebook and Twitter at Princess Akima. Please support our sponsors as they support this podcast and let them know you heard about it on Across the Intersection. All right, and we are back for real. All right, so um, we're going to just jumble up a bunch of stuff this time. All right, so we're going to sober it up a little bit more. Um, and we're going to just mix it in with this week in the news. Um, so as you guys know, what we normally try to keep it light for this week in the news. Um, but I swear sometimes the saints just don't make it easy. They just, are we talking about saints or ain'ts? <laughs> Somebody got to help these saints. They're going to get left like ain'ts. Um, 
so like I said, we, we normally try to keep it light, but you know, this, I think this particular issue is very heavy. Um, and the reason that I, I wanted to throw it in here is because it is sort of related only because it's things that we do publicly and that bring reproach on us. So there've been a couple of different stories that have come out this week that are kind of related and so I wanted to talk about it because they both center around one particular issue, um, which is sexual misconduct. So right. if you're kids or people for whom this uh, topic might be inappropriate, if they're listening, uh, just we just want to give you a heads up on that. Yeah, thank you. If you got little ones in earshot, you might want to throw on those earbuds or those beats by Andre. Um, so in Tennessee... Right this week, and this week it just came out. The article was written in the Independent. Um, court papers are public, but um, in Tennessee at Brentwood Academy, right? It's in the Independent, um, and it's also on Yahoo. There was a twelve-year-old student. I guess at twelve, you're like seventh or eighth grade. Right? Seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, There's a twelve-year-old rape victim. Rape. R A P E. Um, he was consistently sexually assaulted by older students at the at Brentwood Academy in Tennessee. Um, it's a quote-unquote prestigious private Christian institution. Um, and this young boy was, and by the way, it was a boy. Um, he was sexually assaulted multiple times by older students at the academy. So it wasn't like teachers or administrators. We're talking older students at the academy. Um, They forcibly uh, made the young boy perform sexual acts on them. So there wasn't like any sodomy or anything, but you can sort of use your imagination on what was going on. Um, And so the parents of the boy are suing the school for $30 million, right? So you may say, well, how the heck do we go from the young boy getting assaulted by other students to the parents suing the school for $30 million? Well, let me tell you how they got there. Um, The young boy goes to the headmaster of the school multiple times to inform the school of what's happening to him, what's being done to him by the older students at the school. And I'm not going to say the uh, headmaster's name here. It's in, like I said, it's all over the internet. Um, But the headmaster, um, one of the things that he tells him, he tells him some nice, you know, Bible stuff, which if isolated by themselves are 100% biblical and 100% accurate, but within the context of this situation are extremely problematic. So, the headmaster tells the young boy, remember he's 12 years old, that he is to turn the other cheek. Of course, that's a Bible scripture, right? It's a Bible reference. And then he also tells him that everything in God's kingdom happens for a reason. Um, Again, those two statements isolated by themselves are perfectly fine, but within the context of this circumstance, are very problematic. It's very problematic, one, because of the sexual misconduct, and then two, it's problematic because of the age of the individual. He is 12 years old, and you are expecting him to understand and process these biblical concepts at an adult level. Even if he was able to do that at at an adult level, he just experienced extreme bullying and illegal acts performed against him over time. And uh, against his will, of course. Against his will. Basically, he was terrorized. So most adults uh, would struggle with with understanding those biblical concepts in that, con- in that context. Um, and then either way, they were taken out of their context. Well, I think that... <sighs> The, the headmaster, I really want to say the guy's name, but whatever. Just go ahead, go ahead. I mean, not, not the guy's name, but just oh, no, whatever the, you wanted the, to say about The them. little boy, his, they're just calling him John Doe. Of course, of course. So yeah, the, the, the little boy, I'm talking about the headmaster. Um, it's very problematic because I, it assumes that we dwell in this Christian utopia. It's like a vacuum. We live yeah, in a vacuum. Exactly. And we don't live there. 
Um, you're in a public school, uh, well, public in terms of it's open. It's not a public school, but it's in a public environment, a public place. Um, you are in a public place, the school, and you are trying to enact biblical principles where there has been no biblical structure. You have young students who are clearly unsupervised because this is not happening in the presence of those in authority. So you have students who are completely unsupervised and obviously unaccountable to anyone assaulting a younger student at the school, taking advantage of him against his will. And he does the right thing, which is to come to those in authority. He goes to the school's headmaster and rather than hold the, <clears throat> excuse me, hold the older boys accountable, I'm assuming they're boys, but you know, it could be, it just says students. Well, no, one of them was boys because that's right, it mm-hmm. did say some things about male genitalia. So they may have all been boys, which more than likely they probably all were boys because boys are just ridiculous. Um, speaking as one who used to be a boy, so I just, <laughs> I have experience being ridiculous. Um, they, you know, they assault him against his will. He goes to those in authority and is met with Christian cliche, yeah, which is problematic. He, so that's that's problem number one. And there are plenty others. <laughs> there are plenty others, but I think that's the seed of here we are now at a thirty million dollar lawsuit um, by the young boy's parents to the school. Um, it sounds more like the headmaster wanted to sweep this under the rug and not necessarily deal with it and bring bad press or bad publicity to the school. That's what I that's what it looks like to me. Yeah, he allegedly uh when he was interviewed or asked about it allegedly said uh that when he first heard about it he thought it was just what he would call harmless boys will be boys sort of bullying and he kind of moved on. Uh, uh so that's his mindset but again we need to when we build institutions that parents entrust their children's safety in uh it's really important to um to to just provide an environment first of all that's safe but second of all if you're a christian school remember that you're educating the whole child i wonder how much is taught about this topic at that school Mm -hmm. i know you know a lot of i know that some christian parents and some even churches don't like to even mention uh, that we even have a sexual existence. <laughs> it's almost like let's talk about you know physical fitness. It's an undisclosed topic that's yeah, not being it, talked about, and you got all this the hormones, if you will, raging up, and no one to nowhere to express these or vent uh, these these topics. Critical, the critical point. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about undisclosed <laughs> topics. I know when I was a teenager, I basically. You was a hormone. That that's what I was. I was a hormone. You, you know, were a living hormone. I mean, I was a hormone. Um, and I and I'm, you know, other teenagers can say the same. So you have a school that has a whole bunch of teenagers, and my question becomes, you know, considering where they're going, what they're going through developmentally, mm-hmm. is your curriculum appropriate? Is it developmentally appropriate? Not just in terms of what you will not teach and how you won't teach it, but what about what you do teach? So of course, if these boys who did this are sociopaths, which is very possible, Mm. then that's one thing, you know, because this is sociopathic behavior for you to gang up on a boy and then cause him to arouse you in a certain way. It it just blows my mind. But um, either way, it should be an environment where these sorts of, these talks about what's appropriate and what isn't, and this is what's going on with your body, and let's let's talk about, you know, this particular season of life, and let's have a well-rounded, balanced education. It just makes me question whether that's even going on there, and, you know, in addition to the safety problem. I mean, I think it's a, it's a combination of education for the children, educating them about sexual activity, sexual arousal, sexual identity, all of that, and then discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's no structure for authority, accountability, and discipline, because one of the students is on the basketball team. I, it, it did say that. It said that it was four students that were doing this to the mm-hmm. young boy throughout the school year, and that one of them, at least one of them, was on the basketball team. So who holds these students accountable? That's why using the the, the Christian dogma and the, the cliche is problematic. Because if you use the jargon, 
without the reality of living it out, that's why it's problematic. Because if you don't hold the students accountable, if there isn't any oversight, if there's no authority ever present, but then when something does go wrong, you want to flip back and use Christian cliche, that's why it's problematic. Now, this actually got me to looking at something else. I was reminded of an article I read earlier this week posted by our dear rabble rouser. <laughs> <laughs> our social media, social media. Not social media. Person. Well, right not social media. Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. You know, it's funny. There's another podcast that I listen to that he gives um, his son this um, really elaborate title. I'm going to call it. I'm, 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 I'm going to say Akima is the vice president in charge of social outreach. <laughs> the vice president of social outreach. Ooh, put that on the resume, yeah. Yeah, there it is. Um, uh, there was a New York Times article this week um, interviewing a, a Australian archbishop in the Catholic Church. And <clears throat> his name is Dennis Hart. He's in Melbourne. Um, he's the president of that conference over that, I guess, district. You know how Catholic... I think Church they pronounced kind of it separated by district. I think they pronounced it Melbourne. Oh, just Melbourne. One, I just wanted to. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Not Melbourne. All right, Melbourne. All right, it's Melbourne. <laughs> like Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Yeah, not Worcester, but Worcester. Or, or Lancaster. Worcester or something like that. Anyway, um, he, the, he was talking to a reporter. Her, the lady's name is Jacqueline Williams. And they were talking about whether or not um, you should turn over priests who have fallen in this same area you know um you know they they have confession and things of that nature and should the confession be enough and one of the one of the statements that the archbishop made was the laws in our country that country being australia and in many other countries recognize the special nature of confession as a part of the freedom of religion which has to be respected this is what he told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. So, if a priest were to, you know, touch a little boy or do, you know, sexually have some sexual misconduct with a young boy, young girl, whatever, young person, is the confession to another priest or the bishop is that a, is that enough? Now again, in a utopia, I think maybe you can start there because you know, the Bible talks about in Corinthians where Paul says we are to handle our differences and our issues and, and things like that amongst ourselves. Yeah, I'm just wondering if sexual assault against a child ever entered the realm and the orbit of Paul's mind when he was talking about this. That's God, I sure hope. Because <laughs> now you've gone out of the scope of the church and now into civil authority. And right. then they, they have a, set, a certain set of rules that is around and governing that. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. If it's if it's in a utopia, maybe Christian discipline is enough. But and, see, but if it was in a utopia, you wouldn't have it happening in the first place, you know. That's so, true. Then you begin to talk about the structure of families, and that's different. Well, yeah. and so so then here's the question: um, What is well? Two questions. First question: What it would be something that could be handled under the auspices of? Christian discipline that's the first question like what areas would Christians be able to provide discipline in and then two and we talked about this a little bit earlier are we talking about a weak moment in someone's flesh right having a weak moment in whatever you can have a weak moment and kill somebody I mean let's just keep it 100 you could have a weak moment and get so angry that you hit somebody with your car right or are we talking about, as our vice president hisses and in the <laughs> background, uh, in the background <laughs> here? Um, or are we talking about a lifestyle? Because I think if it's a lifestyle, because he goes on, um, the reporter goes on to talk about if they uh, says that there should be no excuse, protection, nor privilege in relation to religious confession, the report says. This is still referring to the, uh, the, the Australian... The, 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 okay. the Australian bishop. He says, we have heard evidence that perpetrators who confessed to sexually abusing children went on to re-offend and then seek forgiveness again. So, question one, 
is there what areas do we think are areas that can be covered in Christian discipline? And then two, is there a difference between one weak moment or one failure, one isolated incident, and a perpetual lifestyle of any kind of behavior? Yeah, I'll just jump on number one by confessing my bias. You know, I haven't reproduced yet, uh, but if I had that maternal instinct, I can tell you right now. Um, Everybody dies. Sexual, <laughs> I mean, what? What? I mean, mm. my ch- what? I, you, I don't even, you would have to. You know, hopefully this does this comment doesn't come back to bite me in some future case when I'm 55. But but just take me if something if something like this happened to Mike, just take me someplace else. Take me to Djibouti. You know, stick me <laughs> stick me into you know in some kind of a cave and put me in that cave for maybe a year. You know, until I get myself together. You need to repent. I mean, for all yeah, the I mean, acts. yeah. While you know, considering, I'll, yeah, I'll repent of everything that enters my mind to do to the child or the adult that came and, uh-huh. and, and did something like right, that right, to right. my kid. So yes, there's a, there's a bias here. So to answer that first question, it seems like, yeah, and I'm not even being spiritual at all in this response because this is, me, not this God, is right? exactly, this is just me when it comes to, you said you put your Christianity to it, the side, you know, which, which of course I shouldn't do. Did I y'all know. Ever used to say that when you, I remember when no. I was young, I'm going to take off my Christianity. Hold on. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, of course that's terrible, but, um, but it just seems like, um, offenses that do not violate someone's mm-hmm someone's agency you know that don't like theft yes let's come together as a christian community you know and let's uh deal biblically <laughs> with the person uh wait a second with the person who is stolen um the bible or, covers your theft yeah right <laughs> and the bible covers all of that know, obviously oh not just the, i shouldn't say the bible the blood of christ that was shed uh to pay penalty for sins so I can't uh, plead the blood which, on that uh, molestation? <laughs> without which all of us uh, would have to pay our own penalty, which means we will be shorter, you know, than Bernard Rubble. So in this case, oh, this is a situation I just caught that. Okay. where, I'm slow. you know, this is a situation, you know, where we know that a person repents um, for but sinning. it's habitual. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, in this case, okay, you know, okay, who know you. But, but we'll get to the habitual question in just a second. I think you want to jump on that, which yeah. that would be great yeah. because I want to, I want to hear what you have to say about that. But when it comes to, um, to an issue, yes, we know biblically a person truly repents, you know, against breaking God's commands, you know, and Christ, you know, paid the penalty for that sin. Uh, so they're covered. Um, and, and remember Christ told the woman who was caught uh, in, adultery in, in adultery to go and sin no more. You know, there was a commandment against adultery. Right. And he's saying, okay, now look, uh, you're forgiven, but you remember that commandment, <laughs> do not commit adultery. So there is a, a, a repentance and a forgiveness, but then there's a mandate after that, which is go and sin no more. Well, but that's why I brought it up. Do but, we treat the isolated one but, but, but in that's, the lifestyle? But that's the I thing. think it leads into mm-hmm. it. It's a leading question. Uh, when you uh, don't address the isolated issues and they become reoccurring, then you start building a lifestyle and a habit. Well, no, no. If you address it like what she brought up, okay, if, if okay. you have that one thing, and the law, because remember, they quoted the law. We could stone her to death. Like the, the law says this. So that's why I bring it up because people want to turn over these priests or in the case of the school, those basketball players to the law. But Jesus comes and offers another way. Now, I, listen, I understand because I am a parent. And I I have children and yeah. I may have those thoughts that you were talking about, but at some point will I be able to woosah, right? Woosah is an old movie <laughs> reference. And and say, Hey, listen, let me think about this biblically. Can I can we clear our minds enough to think about it, you know, biblically to say, Hey, can this person is it within my scope to offer grace to this person who's done such a heinous thing if it's one isolated mm-hmm. thing? Now, what's, what about the habitual lifestyle? So, How do we treat that one? So let's, let's, let's back up for a second. Let's back up for a second, and we're going to talk about the one-off instance. And even in that one-off instance, I think there's a point to make that, you know, you know, you have to show fruit that's in accordance to repentance. And if that is not being shown and you you just continue are weak in that specific, uh, whatever sin it is, mm-hmm. 
then things must change in your environment where that you begin to put uh, more uh, natural parameters around around uh, the thing that's causing you to sin. Yeah, I, and that's where I agree. And I agree with that when it's the one isolated person. I, I think if it's the one isolated incident, no matter how heinous, I believe that Christian discipline has the ability to redeem the person. If they show the fruits of repentance and we put those boundaries, you know, they, they are accountable like the woman caught in adultery. The, those parameters are put around them. They can be redeemed. Now, in the case of repeat offenders or perpetuators, and this is their lifestyle, like this article talks about in Australia, I think they need to be turned over to civil authority. Yes, absolutely. So you're getting turned over to your flesh as well as to whatever authority that will now govern you outside of the church and which is civil authority. Okay, so you're saying that the first response, Mm -hmm. you know, if this is not seen as perpetual at this point, Mm -hmm. is for the body of Christ or or the local church community, the local community of believers to come together and handle it biblically. But if a person is unrepentant, then just like the scripture says, you know, turn them over, not only to their flesh, but to the civil authorities who will be able to uh, deal with them. And that in itself may save the individual. Um, as well as you'll have to deal with whatever uh, <laughs> yeah, the punishment that's behind the, uh, Sheriff, the actions. Uh, Sheriff Jenkins. Turn them over to the civil authorities before I get out of that cave in Djibouti <laughs> and come back to the Western Hemisphere. Now, here's, here's the, the, now I know some of you listening might say, AJ, you are tripping. If this happens, I'm taking them right to jail. Here's the only reason I find that that is biblically why we have to at least entertain the thought. Now, I'm not saying, listen, we may want it to say, screw it, certain actions deserve certain punishment. Okay, and that's perfectly fine too. But remember, the Bible that you read, half of that New Testament was written by a man who committed multiple murders. Multiple. multiple. This was a man Some who persecuted. Exactly. I'm saying multiple being modest. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this was a man who perpetuated the the destruction the first uh, one of the first forms of genocide <laughs> yeah ex- literally g- literal genocide um for believers in the first century and yet that was one that the lord himself came to redeem because if you recall at at Saul's conversion on Damascus road right after that god speaks to a man named Ananias and says go pray for this guy now, Ananias gives the normal response of a normal person, right? What you talking about, Willis? Exactly. You mean that guy? Yeah. <laughs> He's in prayer, and he hears God say, go pray for Saul. Of What? I'm surprised he didn't just say, that must have been the devil. Right. That was the de- He probably did say it. <laughs> Them guys in the Bible were nice about it. That's the devil, like Bobby Boucher's mom, right? He gives a normal human response. You like that Waterboy reference? You like that? <laughs> I'm all about movie references. Wusa and... Uh, Iskiliodo. Then he gives the normal human response. He says, uh, nah, man, I don't don't, don't mess with that dude like that. He he says, he's the one who killed your church in Jerusalem. And you know what he's probably thinking? He's on his way here to kill us in Damascus. And you want me to go to him? And you want me to go pray and lay hands on this cat? He's blind? If he's blind, he can't see me, so I'm good. And if you want me to lay hands, I'll lay hands, all right, around the neck. He he was looking for that cave in Djibouti with you, right? So I just still have to say, God saw enough in him to say this, even though this guy was a murderer, right? Let's just call it what it is. He was a murderer. He saw enough in this guy to redeem him. And not just that, the Bible lets us see into what some of the people were thinking in the time that he was converted. We like to, you know, look at the Bible with rose colored glasses and say, oh, it was just, oh, no. There were people in the New Testament in that first century that were like, nah, I don't mess with this dude. It's going to be some time. Right. It's going to be some time before I'm cool with this. So just because God says something or I feel like something is biblical doesn't mean that everybody's going to jive with it. So listen, I understand if you're listening to this right now and you hear us say 
uh, sexual misconduct and grace and mercy, sometimes it's hard to reconcile those two things in your mind. I get it. I understand it. If it were me, it might be hard for me to do the same thing. It might be hard for me to reconcile. You know, I'll be the first to say I've never had one of my children suffer uh, a sexual assault. So I don't know, but I do know that the scriptures would at least force me to consider Mm -hmm. grace and mercy for this person. Like people look at when uh, Dylan Roof came in that church and shot nine people and killed them. And the people in the church were like, we we forgive him. People were astounded by that. How can you forgive this guy? He's crazy. He shot nine people in a church because regardless of the view from the culture, the Bible calls us to do something higher, no matter how difficult it is. It's a higher way of thinking. What did you say earlier in the podcast? You said it's a higher form of humanity. You said that a couple of weeks ago. You said it's a higher form of humanity. So listen, these things that we're saying, it is a higher form of humanity for someone in my family to be killed and me forgive the killer or someone to sexually assault a child and me offer them grace and mercy if they're willing yeah. to turn. It requires if, the Holy Spirit to be there, first absolutely. of all. You know, yep. even when the Holy Spirit is there, you might want <laughs> to extend might the quench. grace and mercy first. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You, you might extend the right hand of fellowship. Yeah, exactly, with a bald fist. Yeah, so, but yeah, it definitely is, marks the distinction between responding in the natural and mm-hmm. then responding in the supernatural because, again, you've turned from darkness into light. And you don't want to turn back to darkness just because there's darkness out there. Yeah, we, we you don't beat darkness with more darkness. You know, we we don't overcome the world being more worldly, right? So if somebody shoots a church and kills nine people, killing him doesn't make the killing of the nine people somehow go away or be better or sexually assaulting Uh, 12-year-old boy, even though they're boys themselves. Remember, these are other students at the school. Burying them under the jail does not, you know, take away or remove the fact that the 12-year-old boy was. But again, we can't really even think about these things until we change the way our minds are because our minds are eye for an eye, right? That's that's human nature, eye for an eye. You do this, I'm going to do something worse to you. Where the Bible says, renew your mind. So again, like the similar actions, like the leaders, I can't even think like that until I renew my mind because my first thought is, oh no, where are these boys at? These jokers about to die. Yeah, exactly. Literally, somebody's going to, if you did that to my son, somebody's going to die. So anyway, guys, I, you know, I know these are really deep and heavy things to think about, but the reason we bring them up is because they, they both happened in Christian institutions. And before we put these requirements on the world or earthly institutions, we must first get our houses in order. There are a lot of things going on in a lot of churches, a lot of Christian quote-unquote organizations that are wicked. We talked about wickedness, and we must first get our houses in order. So that's what we like to do here. Keep God in the midst. Keep him at the forefront. And even when we're doing our business, whether it's school, whatever it is, we have to work as believers to keep God in the forefront. And that's what we like to do here. So we thank you guys for rocking with us this week. Um, as always, as I always say, until they put me in the ground, I'm going to keep God in your face. <laughs> so for Eve, for Ragu, this is AJ saying thank you all and peace. Peace. Peace out. Let's get started, I won't teach you Let me set apart who is my people The ones who set in their heart to be believers Press on to the mark to follow Jesus When it gets hard, they be seeking the leaders Fathers that help them heal when they are beaten Or help them see the meaning when they're grieving Don't follow their feelings, that'll be misleading Yeah, they're the ones that keep it in biblical Keep it 100 when others say it is fictional A relational life, that is how it's scriptural Stay in the light while cats be living typical.